0: This is the Fabric Podcast. Recorded live at the Minnehaha Falls Bandstand in Minneapolis, we've been asking, what if? In this episode, Melissa Locke explores a what if with Gabriel Claudus, co-founder of Settled, an organization reimagining housing to create a sense of home and community. Here they are. I'm Melissa Locke, and wherever you're catching this conversation from, whether it's out of the the corner of your eye here from the park just catching glimpses, or you're here with us at the park at these benches, or listening on the podcast later, watching the live stream. Welcome. It is good. It is good to be here. You come in today, into this midst of this this conversation, Fabric Loves Questions, and one of our favorite questions is, What if? And that is uh, what we're going to be leaning into with this conversation here uh, that we're going to be hopefully carrying on in, our, in ourselves and amongst each other um, over these six weeks. And honestly, this is a question for a lifetime. <laughs> um, last week, Greg Meyer was, was here setting the stage for this question. And, and he really said this, this question can make the difference between existing and living. And one thing he said about the question, what if that I want us to to remember today and think about is that what if is like a doorway. A doorway through the impossible to the possible. Okay, did you hear that? A doorway, a doorway through the impossible to the possible. So think about the week you've had, think about the news you've heard, think about the things on your heart. On your mind, things may be weighing on you this week. Think about the parts of your life where maybe it feels like this is never gonna change. This is stuck. This is too hard, it's impossible. Or maybe there are places in your life that are just pregnant with possibility. Maybe you're actually pregnant and it's scary, right? Either way, there's so much uncertainty. There are many unknowns and it's a vulnerable place but it's also the place where we go beyond existing to living. So what if? This, this is our question that we, that we get to live with together. And I think that takes guts. I think it takes guts to honestly say, okay, what's really going on? What is feeling really impossible? And what might be? What could be possible? And we do this together for that very reason. Because I don't know about you, but I don't tend to go to those hard places just on my own. Um, we talk about living this, this three-stranded life. And, you know, when it's just me, I like to stay in the places where I know what's going on. I am in control, right? Um, but as fabric, we cannot shake this idea that we are a part of something big. We are a part of something good. We are a part of one another, And that is where the courage comes from. That's where the guts come from. That's where the challenge, the capacity all comes from. You know? Yeah. So that's why we um, come together to remind each other and to to go into that space together. And today, I think of that that definition of of the what-if question as being a doorway through the impossible to the possible. And our guest today, Gabrielle Claudus from Settled, um, is going to be joining me here in a second. And she's walked through a lot of doorways that seemed impossible, and not just metaphorical ones, but actual doorways. <laughs> so Gabrielle, come on up. I'm so glad everyone here gets to meet you today. I I have so enjoyed getting to know you just a little bit. how we know about you, Gabrielle, and about Settled is through our friend Peter Christ, and um, Peter's been... Connected with Fabric for a long time. And, and um, when we were thinking about who are people in the Twin Cities that are helping ama- like, make this what if question come to life in some ways that help, can help us explore it for ourselves, Gabrielle and settled, and the whole team there came to mind immediately. And Peter, Chris, sent us uh, your contact information, and in it he said, She is the best communicator of vision I have ever met. <laughs> so anyway, no, no no pressure, but it, it you know, it's really um, fun to talk to and hear your story. So thank you for being here. I want to just start with your story um, a little bit, like how did you get interested in housing in the first place? And just kind of give us a little glimpse as, as well as you can into um, how you got into this mess.
1: <laughs> yes, it's a c- beautiful, glorious mess that we're in. Yes. So it probably began when I was about 12 years old. I went to Guatemala and we went all over the country but one particular place really touched my heart. It was a large city landfill where a community of about 3,000 were living and they had carved their homes out of um, out of trash and um the children were laughing and and jumping around, and we spent the day there. Um, at first, I didn't want to get off the bus; it was so it was so stinky. But I think that the sounds of the children sort of lured me out. And the next year, I went to Russia at 13, and I I just again saw poverty in a in a, a really horrific way. And so I came back to the U.S. and just asked myself. What is what is my responsibility now that I've seen poverty um, in this way? And so I I spent high school and college and graduate school years looking at international poverty. My family and I actually moved here from California about nine years ago um, for me to get a PhD in housing at the University of Minnesota. It's one of the only programs um, in in housing uh, in the country. And so I was studying international poverty, studying international housing, and then about a year into my program, I felt this, like, God breath of, like, hey, it's time to look at poverty in your own backyard. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Um, You ever wrestle with God Um, and just kind of have this conversation going we are on
0: a wrestling people wrestling <laughs> is one of our favorite words
1: yeah, yeah. Um, you know just because he says something doesn't necessarily mean that we're prepared for it or we want to do it um, I sort of had a chip on my shoulder around around homelessness um, in America I had felt like you know if you're in America we have government we have churches we have social service programs and so you know people are fine and God said, what if you were to look at poverty in your own backyard? What if you really were to just open your eyes to it? So it wasn't hard. Our family lived in downtown St. Paul. It was really just opening my eyes to it, seeing a community of about 200 living on the Green Line um, and sleeping there every night, and that was their home, and then going deep into the woods and seeing where people are sort of hiding out. Um, and so really seeing seeing poverty and recognizing, um, okay, yes, we have We have the government, we have churches, we have social service programs, but more than anything, what people that are on the streets lack is is human connection. Um, This is a group of people, uh, those that have been on the streets for five, 10, 20 years that don't just lack housing and social services. Um, What they really lack is uh, family and community. They've experienced a profound loss of that. And so, um, you know, what is the response to um to a profound loss of a family and community one thing i have
0: heard you talk about is like the research really bears out like when you really look at the roots of homelessness that that's, that's what you find
1: yeah yeah absolutely so um, as a researcher uh, you can you can look at sort of all the, the prevailing models out there as a response to homelessness and you're going to see, okay, we, we respond with housing and we respond with social services and yes, people need that but there's a huge gap in the research that shows that even when people get into housing and get social services, they still lack social connection and social belonging and civic engagement and purpose and essentially all the things that make us wake up in the morning and uh, feel like we have something con- to contribute to the world um, and so how do we step into that so something that has stuck with me
0: is this it seems like a shift of you know first it was what if we looked at homelessness in your own backyard and then what if we looked at the roots what's really behind this and now you're part of settled which i think is more like what if we looked at the roots of homefulness, homefulness like people don't just need houses and that's how Settled was born, right? Like Settled started cultivating home um, yeah. with people. Yeah, absolutely. People. So can you tell
1: us more about Settled and your work? Now? Sure. So, you know, it's not just housing. What is the, what's the meaning of home? Um, so I know S- Settled, you actually build homes, right? You're a home, a home builder? Yeah, we do, we
0: build homes. So tell us like you build them wow. and then what happens? And
1: so then we have to they're gather tiny, them. They're tiny homes. They're tiny homes. But essentially, we build our homes just like we would want to build our own homes. Um, we fill it with good things that can last a lifetime. and um, And then we gather them up together. Because, you yeah. know, family and community requires us not to just live in isolation, but to live together where we are known and loved and belong. How do you decide where to put them? Yeah. So... Rather than going and trying to find our own land and buildings, we actually partner with faith communities, so synagogues, churches, mosques that already have land and already have buildings. Likely they're underutilized, you know, a big shebang on Sunday, a smaller shebang on, on Wednesday. Um, but what if we were to use that land that's already being paid off or is paid off, and that building that already exists and probably has a kitchen and bathrooms. Maybe we need to add some showers. And so we gather up the homes on the land. We turn a portion of the church uh, building into a common house with bathrooms and showers and kitchen and laundry and a place to gather. And then we invite that congregation to come and um, inhabit that land alongside people coming off the street. The number one key thing that we're doing differently that you might not see in any other tiny home village across the nation is that we have resource people living in the community also. So this isn't just people coming out of long-term homelessness. It's also um, people that have never experienced homelessness that come from relatively healthy, happy backgrounds and are choosing to live in the community and be a good neighbor Um, and be that the the augmentation of extended family for walks and games and meals, so that it's a place that you want to live and a place that you want to have in your neighborhood. Because basically, we're creating small communities within neighborhoods. Yeah. So who does build your homes? So uh, again, faith communities build our homes because not every faith community is going to have the land to host a sacred settlement or an intentional tiny home village but a faith community could sponsor a home. And so um, we sort of send a kit of parts to a faith community, and over 12 weeks, they build up the home, and then it gets placed into a larger village. So that it's not just one faith community or one denomination or one way that we understand um, the world, but it's, it's many people coming together to respond to homelessness. Because if the root cause is loss of family and community, then the response has to be, family and community and so we're building that among ourselves and inviting people into it over and over and over. I love it and it's just beginning it sounds like.
0: Yeah. Yeah so it happens here but are there sacred settlements around other places besides St. Paul? So so or things like it? or Yes.
1: So my research for about seven years was based on a village in Austin, Texas, and they are now at 500 tiny homes because it's Texas. Everything's bigger there. <laughs> um, but it's a beautiful, wonderful, lovely place. And again, they have intentional neighbors living in the community um, to augment that role of family. And so it's, it's, it's quite marvelous to see, you know, people that have come off the streets. They've been living on the streets for 20 years and, um, and now they're living next to my friend, Larry, who's the CEO of a billion dollar tech company. And I'm sitting in Larry's tiny home and he's telling me, no, it's my privilege to live in this community. It's strengthened my relationship with my adult daughters. It's strengthened my marriage. It's deepened my empathy. It's, it's created community in my own life because you know, all of us have a little bit of homelessness in us. It's not just living on a park bench, it's also a longing for wholeness. And so that's part of, of the response to this is that actually we, we all bring ourselves and we're all you know, becoming whole together. Wow,
0: yeah. Do you have gardens in the- Of course of we them? have gardens.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a place for sharing?
1: For connecting together, working together, having working together, harvesting together, making meals together, all the things that allow us to to unite our, our hearts and our and our understanding of, of the world. Yeah. It's funny how these
0: intangible things have tangible forms. Yeah. You know? With love you make these houses together and you yeah. plant the gardens together and that's how we experience this unnameable thing that we're part of this love that we're part of so yeah all right I want to talk about a little bit more about how this all works I mean it sounds so wonderful and there's this sense of what if that we talk about here of possibility but does anyone else here ever ever heard of terribleizing? catastrophizing like in your head where you're like what if this happens but what if that happens and all those kind of what ifs have you run into that as you've tried to bring this
1: vision to life absolutely (laughs) turns out people don't necessarily want the formerly chronically homeless living in their neighborhoods who would have guessed um, you know, people think, hey, what if it's going to turn into an encampment? What if it's going to lower my property values? What if it's going to increase crime? And those are all valuable what ifs. They are, I think, worthy of asking, but not worthy of just staying there in the terribleizing. I think we also need to wonderize and say, wonder-ize, well, I like that. What, if, um, what if actually people that are very, very different from me and have very, very different backgrounds. What if they're not scary and it's not something to fear, but what if they'd be great neighbors? (laughs) And what if I would learn a lot? And what if having a sacred settlement in my neighborhood would actually increase the vitality and the life that's happening here? Because guess what? I go to a lot of um, suburban neighborhoods that don't have a lot of... uh, life happening, um, or a lot of community happening, I guess. It's life in isolation. And so we're trying to, trying to um, respond to that in, in a big way. And so, you know, what, what if um, actually inviting the poor into our abundance actually invites us into um, a, a, a bigger way um, of living? So
0: I was wondering about the people moving into tiny homes that have been experiencing homelessness um, or even just taking steps towards them. What kind of fears have, have you had the chance to learn about in the folks that make that move?
1: Yeah, it's actually really courageous for our folks to move off the streets and come into an intentional community. A lot of us don't really know what it would be like to live in an intentional community. And so it's a, it's a, big, it's a big ask. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's fears around, you know, what if I can't do it? What if I can't pay my rent? What if I fail? What if I'm not, you know, everything that they want me to be? And so we surround people with a group um, of supportive friends, is what we call them. And they're just lay volunteers that walk alongside people and, and he, listen to those fears and talk through them and, and just take steps towards, you know, life goals. Um, and sort of trying to unpack some of the fears and say it's, it's, it's a change for all of us and we, we can each do hard things um, in, in the capacity that we can.
0: Yeah, something um, happens for me. I'm going to get a little vulnerable here when I see in my neighborhood a lot of cardboard sign folks. And um, every time, whether I look or don't look or give a dollar or don't it always feels like a not very human connection mm. so far mm-hmm. um, and I feel like that sort of erodes the trust it's like this transactional thing and it kind of erodes the trust that I have in myself and in humanity and probably for that person just daily like where how do we build the trust that gives us that courage um, to take those steps and I mean I know you don't have the answers but that's something that feels really hard and when I hear about this it feels like hope to me like oh that's a picture of what's possible it's a what if and it it sort of opens me up even though I don't quite still know what to do sure (laughs) but what do you I don't know if you have any yeah like have experience that
1: or have thoughts about that. Absolutely. Um, anyone ever been to a stop sign and there's someone there with a sign and then all the thoughts just start racing and you're like, am I supposed to give money? Am I not supposed to give money? I, I can't remember. Um, you know, like, are they just scamming me? I know they make more money than me. Um, or there are social services downtown. They should just go there or... Whatever, any number of things sort of come into our mind. And so what if we were to think about it beforehand, knowing that we are going to come across someone on a street corner again, likely. Um, and so what if we were prepared for that um, and just sort of calmed those, those what if fears and said, I, I'm in a car and I'm safe. I don't think anyone's going to jump in my car. What if I were to roll down my window and just look someone in the eye? What kind of impact would that make on my heart and what kind of impact would that make on their heart? And what if I just acknowledged that they were human and this is a really tough situation and I don't have all the answers and I don't even really understand. Um, One time I rolled down my window and I looked at someone and I said, I am so sorry that you're in this. And she said, well, please don't say you're sorry. And you know, people will respond with you because we're going to figure out, you know, and I said, well, what would be a better thing for me to say right now to you? Um, mm-hmm. And so we engaged in, in trying to find an answer together because none of us quite know, but looking away doesn't ever feel good. Um, and so just acknowledging that they're human and they're there and we are breathing the same breath right now, and they're in my path for a reason um, to shape me and mold me and change me and to allow for that. Experience to go through me instead of maybe what you know we can do is sort of look away and then feel some guilt and shame for doing that.
0: Yeah, or some kind of disconnection or separation or uh, yeah. So we can't totally get rid of all of those feelings and everything isn't you know cleaned up like that. But um, I think we're we're moving into territory where we're like what do we do with our fears and what helps us. Gain capacity for that. And it sounds like you're really involved in your PhD program and drawing all these lines and, and the, the housing research community was saying, wow, this is incredible. We love what you're doing and let's do this. But can we just need to take the God part out? Yeah. Um, and you said it won't work. So, I mean, that's just a really interesting question for, for, for us. I mean, we, we wrestle with what is that? God factor in our lives Um, it gets put into boxes and and um, that can be hard to it never feels like you're doing it justice um, but yet it's so real and I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about like what do you think is at the root of that what does the God factor bring
1: that we need Yeah. Kind of vision. Yeah. So I was doing this research at the University of Minnesota. It's a secular university. And um, I think it makes sense for them to say, like, what's this God component that's a part of this thing? Like, is there any way that we could just take that out and replace it with health equity? And I said, I don't think so. (laughs) Um, You know, like, you're going to see a lot of bizarre behaviors and behaviors that sort of rub you a little bit wrong um, when you're seeing people coming out of a lifetime of poverty. And so if you, you know, this is, let's say that you're at a lovely Lutheran church ser- service and you've got your hat on and you're dressed to the nines and you're coming into the church service and your church happened to put a sacred settlement on their land and there, there's like the beautiful homes and then there's Bob. Bob pooping off of his porch. (laughs) The horror of, you know, like there's, yeah, because Bob's having a bad day. Bob's having a mental breakdown. And this is how Bob is responding to that. And so there's going to be a lot of that. And so how do we enter into the mess? I, I love that when um, Melissa introduced me, she said, let's just talk about the mess. You know, it's, it's a beautiful, glorious mess. And most of us are pretty good at hiding our mess. Our folks that are coming out of a, a lifetime of, of homelessness uh, don't hide it so well. <laughs> and so that's messy. And that, that changes us. And so, yeah, yeah. You, you, you have to have that God component because the God component tells us it's messy. But it's worth it.
0: It's messy. And we don't have
1: to hide our messes. Yeah, but you can, you can stay. You can stay yeah. in it. And, and, and this, is, this is not just for the benefit of someone coming off the street. It's for, it's for our benefit. Like, everything that comes into our path is for our own refinement.
0: Hmm. I have to think about that. So we, we have, you know, probably a bunch of academics in this crowd who would be saying, like, can we just take out the God factor and yet who are really open to I it's not all about me I'm part of something big and and I want to open my eyes to that open my heart to that I want to trust something beyond just me and I think that's what has been a little bit freeing about fabric for for that part of me is like I don't have to intellectually like believe the doctrines of Jesus or of any certain words or in order to say no this is actually about a relationship and trust trusting my life to the with the things that that Jesus pointed to that Jesus seemed to be all about and present with and not at all about like what kind of boxes are you going to put around me this time you know and so it's special for us to be able to like intersect because that is in all of us Mm -hmm. like that 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 part like I don't understand God or it doesn't makes sense, but yet it makes, there is something that gives us this capacity to show our mess and be with other people's messes. So without being able to do it justice and explain it all, I appreciate getting to wrestle with that and just see it in action, like you've been able to see it and how we can all maybe be more open to like, how do we create Homefulness and connection, um, and what does that have to do with our messes? Whew, there's a lot we could talk about mm. here. Okay, let's move to how, like, one of the cool quotes I heard you say, there are so many beautiful people in the world doing what they are called to do. I think ordinary people saying yes to an extraordinary calling to love your neighbor as yourself is what unites the world. People from all walks of life, all faith traditions and non-faith traditions, are, can be involved in this. Um, so, how can ordinary people be part of something extraordinary through Settled? Do you, can you just give us a glimpse?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're we're all Frodos at heart. Um, like, there is there is we're all just ordinary <laughs> people, and there's an extraordinary calling right in front of every one of us. And I think that that extraordinary calling is is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And it's, it's such a simple phrase, but it, it's so deep and you could spend your entire life working that out. So some of the ways in which you can love your neighbors who, who are coming off the streets through Settled is we make handmade artisan quality home goods. And so you could visit our little pop-up shop. We've got candles and soaps and leather products and it's all made by folks that, have, um, that, I'm, that I'm talking about today, like that have come out of long-term homelessness. Um, Average, been on the streets for about 10 or 11 years, and now they're making beautiful things because a group of ordinary people looked them in the eye and said, you're beautiful, and you're, um, you're worth so much, and you're valuable, and so now they're making valuable things, and you can take those valuable things home with you. So that's a wonderful way of supporting Settled. Also, we just feel like knowledge is power, and there's so much fear around homelessness, and there's a lot of chatter around homelessness. And so we invite you to come to our website, settled.org, And we've designed the homepage to just talk through those five big fears and five big ways of overcoming those. And so just having that knowledge puts you in a position to have a better conversation in that narrative that's, that's happening. Yeah.
0: All right. Thank you. Um yeah the website is great there's a lot of great connections under the research tab too like videos and lots of great bite-sized pieces too if you want to if you want to learn more
1: rather than you know, the the anxiety of coming across someone that is experiencing homelessness, I want you to be on the lookout for the next person. I want you to have that in mind, like an excitement. Like, you know what, actually, I know that my path is going to cross this person and I'm prepared. And I want to challenge you to make it not transactional. Um, you know, compassion in Latin means to suffer with. And so I know that you're going to be busy in that moment. And it's going to be like the least convenient time for you to come across this person. But remember, this is for your refinement just as as much as it's for their humanity. And so I ask that you put aside that really important meeting that you're going to or the really important whatever, and to just sit with this person and have a conversation. It's my challenge to you. And I think it'll change you. And I think it'll impact them and just sit in that moment. You have something to offer them and see where that conversation leads you. Gabriel said, be on the lookout.
0: And there was a reading in our, call it Rome readings. And part of it said, I'm doing a new thing. Do you see it? So I wonder what are the new things? What are the impossible things in your life that this what if, Posture, this woven way can, can help you move through and into something new that you didn't imagine before. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for more connection in your life, stay up to date with what's going on with Fabric and find resources to help you in your conversations and reflection at fabricmpls.com or searching Fabric MPLS on social media. Let us know if there are conversations you're longing to start or resources you're longing for to help you live a life more deeply woven.